Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. I'm reading today from the book of Acts, chapter 19, and I'm reading verses 21 to the end of the chapter, Acts, chapter 19. Last week we had the mighty word of the Lord, and today we have the new world of the Lord. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from the business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Amen. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's quite a striking question, isn't it? 
I remember that question being used quite a lot when I was growing up. I remember hearing it. How much of what you say you believe is public? How much of what you say you believe is on display to others? Does your Christian life live in the shadows and live only in the secret hidden corner places of your life? Or is it your life in the open for all to see? Now, the reason for mentioning that question If you were put on trial for being a Christian, is there any danger that there would be evidence that could convict you? The reason for asking that question is that here now in Acts, we are heading towards the trial of one particular Christian, the Apostle Paul. I want to suggest that a verse that we passed over very quickly in reading is the storyteller's key to the rest of the story here. Chapter 19, verse 21. Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. He's not speaking about a tourist hope, a long, a long cherished hope of just simply visiting somewhere. No, this is Rome, the greatest city in the ancient world. And all these stories here in the book of Acts, this is not random. This is not Paul going from one city to another city. Then this happened, then this happened. No, this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the hands and in the heart and on the lips of a weak and broken man who has set himself the task of taking the gospel to Rome, to Rome itself. And when Paul gets there, here's the thing, when Paul gets there, he will be on trial for his life. So here's the question. Is being a Christian a threat to the world order? Is Christianity good for the world? Friends, that is the issue. Is Christianity a threat to the world order? Just look forward to Acts chapter 25 and verse 8. Here's where all of this is heading. Acts chapter 25 and verse 8. Paul argued in his defense neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. I am not a danger to the religious freedom of any people or to world peace the world over. I haven't broken Jewish religious laws, Paul is saying, nor have I broken your civil laws. And so what we have here now in our passage today, in Acts chapter 19, from chapter 19 onwards, what we are reading here is a defense of the Apostle Paul and his ministry. Here is his character witness. Here is what it looks like to be a Christian in the public square. Here is what Christians say and believe and think and do. And we're going to look at this defense of Paul over the next few weeks. There are many different sides to it. And one of the main ones is that Paul wants to keep showing the world that rioting and violence and the destruction of things is not something that Christian people do. Christians are peace-loving, law-abiding citizens. That's why Luke records these words of the town clerk here in verse 35 in this riot in Ephesus. It is not the Christians who are going against the courts and the magistrates and the legal proceedings. See, Paul wants to get to Rome, and he wants to get there, if you like, with a clean copybook, a a clean slate, a good bill of health as he stands before, hopefully God willing, Caesar himself. He wants to get there and say, look, up to now, no one has been able to find any fault in me. 
No fault in me. I want you to hear what I'm saying, Caesar. And yet, and yet, Christians are peace-loving, law-abiding citizens who nevertheless do believe in a new world order. A new world order. Chapter 17, verse 6, do you remember? These men who have turned the world upside down have also come here. These men like Paul who have turned the world upside down have also come here. And so I want to show us this this morning because Luke is wanting to put steel into our backbones. He's wanting us to carry ourselves strongly, confidently, courageously in a world of conflict and opposition. He wants to put courage into our weak knees. Friends, make no mistake, Paul wants to stand before Caesar and say that Caesar does not need to fear him. He is not a threat Christianity is good for the world. It will lead to the flourishing of the world. But he does want to say to Caesar, Jesus is king, not you. Jesus is king, not you. Here is all I want to say today in this sermon. Christian brother, Christian sister, friend, one point only. Do not be scared to upset the status quo. Do not be scared to upset the status quo. Now, I've been hugely helped in putting this together today, hugely helped by a sermon from Kevin DeYoung, a pastor in the United States. He has seen some of these issues very clearly here. And some of this wording here, I'm giving you lots of him, lots of him today in this sermon. Do not be scared to upset the status quo. To upset the existing state of affairs. That's what a status quo is, isn't it? The agreed practices of the world around us. The the cultural norms. Now, this story in front of us, it's it's a wonderful story, isn't it? The story, it tells itself here, doesn't it? It ends with a town clerk. Imagine the riot chanting for two hours. And it ends with a town clerk trying to quell a riot by pointing out to them. There he is in verse 40. He's pointing out, look... If you're trying to get Paul in trouble, we're actually all going to end up in trouble if you keep this up. It's not going to be Paul in trouble, but all of us. That should always be the way with Jesus' followers, that in the end, people have to admit that we have never been the ones to bring heat to a situation. It's never the Christians who've lost their heads and taken to the streets in senseless rage. That's how the story ends, but look how it starts in verse 23. There arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way of Jesus can cause no little upset, which is a way of saying it can cause very big upset. And here in this story, it is all because of Artemis, the goddess of the Ephesians. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a spectacular sight, truly magnificent. And so something that was so amazing, of course, it ended up having amazing financial pulling power. Artemis was a power brand. Silver shrines of Artemis, it would have been major money, wouldn't it? We can easily imagine it. Just like the gift shop in a temple or an abbey, a cathedral. Just think about this man, Demetrius, here in the passage. He's in the Artemis trade. 
He's a major employer in the city. No doubt many men and women underneath him. And here comes the gospel of the Lord Jesus spreading through the ancient world, saying, do you remember chapter 17? The gospel says we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And straight away, Demetrius knows, boom, business is bust. Business will suffer. He realizes this is bad for business, isn't it? Verse 27. There is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis may be counted as nothing. Friends, can you see our one point, my only point today? Can you see it here in the text? The good news of Jesus has swept into town. The mighty word of the Lord is prevailing, it's triumphing, and it is upsetting the apple cart and turning the world upside down. Gods made with human hands are not gods. The good news of Jesus is a threat to the glory of all other gods, and it is not good for the industry of idolatry. Brothers and sisters today, do not be scared when some people join up the dots and slowly realize, hang on, your beliefs make a difference in this world, not just the next world. Don't be scared when people have an aha moment, when the penny drops and they realize, you're talking about the way that I live. I, I love this phrase. I think this is true. People don't care about an otherworldly religion so long as it's otherworldly. They care when it's about this world. You can believe all sorts of weird stuff like the virgin birth or angels or believing in an afterlife in the sky when you die. You can believe all sorts of weird stuff so long as you don't believe anything about this world. Ah, do you see it? Christianity as one option, a private belief for you is fine. But if it starts affecting my wallet... No, 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 no. Hang on a minute. It's a religion. It's not meant to affect real life, is it? It's not meant to affect business or the bedroom or the boardroom or the classroom. Here's how one contemporary thinker, an atheist, says it. Here is the spirit of Artemis alive and well. I don't have a problem with religious belief so long as it doesn't clash with science or impose outdated morals on the world. Friends, if our belief in Jesus floats free from the earth, floats in the air away from life in this world, it is not belief in the real Jesus. If we only believe a gospel and preach a gospel that confirms the status quo, it is not the gospel. For following the way, that lovely phrase at the start of our passage this morning, following the way, following Jesus, is to follow a king who says, God cares who you sleep with. God really, really cares about it. God cares what you do with your money and who you spend it on and what you're living for and who you give it to. He really, really cares about it. God cares how you speak to your children. God cares how you speak to your parents, children. Words, this world words matter. Your words matter. My words matter. 
God cares how you do your work Monday to Friday to Saturday. God cares whether you're lazy or hardworking. God cares about your anger and your gluttony and your lust and your bitterness. God cares what sort of husband you are, what sort of wife you are. God cares about all the little details of our physical lives in these human bodies, in this tiny corner of the earth, at this particular moment, on this day in history. And if we live like God cares about all those things I've just mentioned in every single area, if we live openly like he cares about all those things, we will upset the status quo. Someone somewhere will get very, very mad. Belief in Jesus will clash directly with how people make money. Simple as that. The idol of wealth will come into conflict with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that some of you will have seen just this past week that Netflix have been advertising a new series on TV. And the publicity for this new series for Netflix included highly sexualized images of young children. And Netflix, to my uh, amazement, it was an amazing, wonderful thing to see, Netflix received a tidal wave of criticism from all quarters all over the world, but so much of it came from Christians saying to Netflix, this cannot be right. Look at these pictures. It cannot be right. Friends, where is it that our innate sense of pedophilia being wrong, where does that innate sense come from? In this ancient world here in Ephesus, in Rome, in Corinth, in this ancient world, pedophilia was not as despised as it is today. See, the the gospel of the Lord Jesus triumphed. The word grew The word prevailed so that men and women began to realize that the way I've been living and treating other people with my body and their bodies, the way I've been living is wrong. Jesus is king, not me. And their sexual ethics changed. So that this week, as I watched a world revolt against Netflix, I thought so much of that reaction actually comes from the Christian worldview. People are upset because the gospel of the Lord Jesus triumphed hundreds of years ago and changed the way we think about sex and the preciousness of children and the sanctity and dignity of of life. Friends, never be scared today when friends tell you that your sexual ethics are outdated, that you're on the wrong side of history. For it was the new world order of Jesus as king that changed world history. And here we are today with Christian people and other people saying to Netflix, you may not make money out of this. You must not make money out of this. The industry of idolatry needs to be threatened by the good news of Jesus. I want to encourage our younger people today, from our children who are watching all the way through to our students All of you who are standing now today in your young lives where many of us once stood with our friends looking at us like we had two heads for being odd and all the things we say and do and believe. And I want to say to you with Paul here, do not be scared to stand up and speak and live for Jesus. Do not be scared to upset the status quo. Oh, make no mistake, friends, be wise in how you do this. Don't be a hothead.
think verse 30 in our passage is very interesting, isn't it? Uh, verse 30, when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, he was going to send himself in, keep speaking. The disciples would not let him. Maybe here Paul has more courage than sense. And he needs wise friends with a hand on the shoulder. Don't antagonize a mob. Know when to back off, to walk away. But young folks, at some point in your Christian life, you will have to reckon with the fact that somebody will say to you, because of your beliefs, you do not belong here. You are not welcome here. The penny will drop for somebody near you. If you live for Jesus long enough and clear enough, the penny will drop. Somebody will say, hang on, you're a Christian. You think I'm wrong. You think the way I'm living is wrong, don't you? What do you think about this issue or that issue? And you know that following Jesus is going to go against the cultural norms. Don't be scared. Can I say to all of us today, to my dear church family, do not be scared when we are up against the might of everything that sparkles and glistens like gold in the sun. Friends, this temple of Artemis in the ancient world, if you went to visit it, it would have been like standing in the Grand Canyon. You would have been dwarfed by its size and splendor. It would have looked like it was going to last forever. Its walls were solid and strong. The social media messaging army from coming out of the temple of Artemis was slick and smooth and always on message. Artemis had power. Artemis was pervasive and present. And one day then into Ephesus comes this frail, unimpressive little man with some kind of thorn in his flesh, he tells us. Maybe he had eyesight problems. Maybe it was sickness of some kind. Maybe he... He had a speech impediment. We don't know. We do know that the Apostle Paul was unspectacular, eminently forgettable. One day he comes into Ephesus with the message of Jesus of Nazareth, who died on an instrument of Roman torture. Whose side do you want to be on, Artemis or Jesus? Oh, one of them looked so impressive, so strong, so mighty. One of them looked so embarrassingly weak. Oh, friends, today the temple of Artemis lies in ruins. Her disciples long since turned to dust. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ is expanding through the world, growing from shore to shore, filling the earth, And one day God's people will number more than the stars in the sky and more than the sand on the beach. Do not be scared to upset the status quo, for today's status quo is merely tomorrow's history. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know why I think Paul thinks like this? Verse 30, I've just called him unwise, haven't I? wishing to go in amongst the crowd in verse 30. But maybe there's more to it than that for Paul. Maybe there's more to it. About six years ago, an American pastor called Rick Warren, he appeared on the Piers Morgan show. And of course, if you get a a Christian pastor on a show like Piers Morgan, uh, it's inevitably going to come round to sex, isn't it? 
And inevitably, Rick Warren gets asked about sexuality and Christian views, particularly on homosexuality. And Piers Morgan is happily mocking Rick Warren's beliefs. Rick Warren said to Piers Morgan, I fear the disapproval of God more than I fear the disapproval of you or society. I think he's exactly like Paul at that moment, isn't he? Why does Paul want to wade back in to a crowd like this, capable of pulling him limb from limb? It's because of who he fears, who he fears the most. Many of you will know the name of George Muller, a man uh, centuries ago who had a wonderful, wonderful ministry. George Muller said this. He said, there was a day when I died. There was a day when I utterly died to George Muller. Died to myself, to my opinions, my preferences, my tastes and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brothers or friends. And since then I have lived only to show myself approved. Friends, we will never do what these first believers did and turn the world upside down until we are dead to the world's approval dead to all that the world holds dear, instead of being alive to God, alive to Jesus and to his life-changing, world-transforming gospel. So may God make us like that, dead to me, you being dead to you and dead to all that the world offers us to give to the world Jesus and his gospel. So may it be. Amen.